general nerdery. You know, Tyler, it's cold outside. There's there's no kind of atmosphere. We're not all alone, though. We actually more have more or guess. less, Tyler. <laughs> more or less. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, welcome to General Nerdery. We're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And uh, today we have another guest, and I don't know this guy, so I'm going to let you do the introductions here. We have a guest and a first. If things sound different, it's because we're Skyping this episode. It's very <laughs> exciting. We're bringing the technology to like 2005 levels for this. Yes, yeah, which we normally are like way... 1995 levels for us. Right, we're ASLing out there. Um, <laughs> today we have Jesse, my old roommate, one of my really good friends... My first ever podcast co-host Skyping in. What's up, Jesse? What's up, guys? Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me on the show. How's it going? Pretty good. So, I mean, usually when we have guests on, we'll have you just, you know, establish your nerd credentials, other than the fact that we were doing a podcast together back in the days where 90% of people would ask, what's a podcast, when you told them that's what we did, so... Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, my nerd creds, it's it's kind of topical. Uh, one of my very first memories of life was the early trumpet blast of this particular show that we're talking about. Yeah, I feel that on a visceral level. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I definitely started out with, a, you know, high science fiction sort of stuff like that. And uh, uh, yeah, in uh, Red Dwarf, these guys used to show up on the local PBS stations around here, right? Like they would do marathons. Like That's how I discovered it. Yeah, right. So we, my brother would record that, and we had just mountains of VHS tapes of you know uh, these marathons on PBS. And we, uh, it was funny because they had the big telethon bits in the middle, and you try to edit them out, you know, crash editing on an old VHS machine. But you'd forget to hit play sometimes, hit forget to hit record, and you, you would miss half an episode. episode. Yeah. So you know, until streaming came along, and uh, I, there was a lot of these episodes that I hadn't hadn't seen. But yeah, I mean, Red Dwarf was really my intro into uh, nerddom, really. That's that's interesting. That's now that you th- th- think about this, this is something that is n- the modern generation is not going to understand: is that scramble to get back to the record button oh, after Jesus. the commercial break. It. Right. And I know. I mean, there's other things I know that you can hold hold up because you're the one that got me into Doctor Who. Good man. Oh yeah, Doctor Who again. PBS local PBS stations <laughs> around here in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, support PBS? Yeah. Is that what we're saying? Honestly, PBS always feels like it's on the edge of collapse. So please support PBS. That's uh, why I have Britcoms. Hey, uh, Down Abbey. <laughs> I've not actually seen, but my mom and my sister are obsessed with it. I can read because of Sesame Street. Yeah. So. Oh, and- yeah. Mr. Rogers. Let's, let's not forget. Oh, yeah. Oh. Mr. Rogers. Are you trying to make us cry? Apparently. Not yet. <laughs> Uh, well, shit. I mean, and I'll, I mean, I'll attest to the fact that for, you know, a couple of years I'd come home from work late at night and you'd be watching Star Trek or some old sci-fi or, I mean, I guess those are one in the same sometimes, but. No. Uh, and there was something, uh, comforting about, uh, Red Dwarf in particular when you're, you know, you're a nerd, uh, sometimes you feel kind of solitary and you feel kind of lonely. So watching these guys stuck on this spaceship and watching them have to kind of live the same kind of lifestyle that you live was kind of comforting. You know, like, well, you know, these guys are kind of stuck in a tin can, you know? So it was, uh, you kind of relate to it, you know? 
I heard a description once that it was waiting for Godot in space, and that description has stuck with me ever since. <laughs> uh, maybe even just a little bit of waiting for Guffman in space, too. But uh, Well, before we get into too much more Red Dwarf, I brought some news. Hit me with some news, boy. So we'll start off with the one that crosses over into all of the news. The new Bond movie has been delayed. South by Southwest has been canceled. And Emerald City Comic Con has been postponed all to due to coronavirus. Thing. Yeah, I, you know, I had heard something about that. Yeah, you're over in affected area, aren't you? Yeah, where are you located? Uh, I'm right in the Great Pacific Northwest. I'm about uh, 20 minutes north of Seattle. Oh, so yeah, you're right there. Mm, yeah, it's uh, uh, everything is sold out of toilet paper and paper towels. How, how are you getting by? Well, you know, we stocked up like everybody else did. <laughs> yeah, haven't resorted to the socks yet? No, not quite yet. But, you know, all the roads are clear. The traffic is... <clears throat> but it's kind of strange to see the way it's affected everything. It's sort of post-apocalyptic around here. I sort of didn't take it seriously at first because, you know, I remember the Ebola scare from a few years ago and the swine <laughs> flu and the bird flu and the... Right, the... Yeah. And you end up with, like, two cases in total. And now I'm just like, oh, oh wait... Oh shit! Well, and I know, I know. Even over here, things are starting to get a little nutty for there not even being any cases in the area. I I got the warning of like you should go buy toilet paper soon. Not in the like stock up, but if you're going to use toilet paper at any time in the next few months, maybe get some backlog now. Mm. Uh, yeah, who who knew? I thought it was going to be bottle caps in in post apocalyptic. It turns out it's going to be toilet paper. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Yeah, bottle caps are way cooler, though. <laughs> yeah, but they're not as much fun to wipe your ass with. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, definitely for sure. So Bond is now uh, November 25th rather than uh, April 10th, which was like just around the corner. And we were actually excited for it after those trailers. Yeah, I mean, I'm still excited for it. Now I'm just excited for it in November. Um, so far, WonderCon and Can are both still on. As of us recording this, who knows, even a week from now. But... I mean, the day we're recording this, Italy expanded their quarantine from northern Italy to all of Italy. So, like, this stuff could be wildly out of date by the time this comes out in a week. Anyway, yeah, it sucks when normal news has to cross over, but this is a big enough thing that... It's wash your fucking hands. Have. Yeah. Don't uh, touch yeah. your face. Don't... Definitely. I didn't realize how often I touched my face until all this started. It's only you're thinking about it. And... Oh, yeah, it's it's crazy. <laughs> oh, I've still been terrible about it, too. I'm going to be the first with fucking coronavirus. We work at a grocery store, man. We're already screwed. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so right beforehand, we watched the Black Widow trailer. The last trailer before all the TV spots start going. Like, all the heavy TV spots. Yeah, last, last trailer before we go dark, because TV I mean... spots give up so much i don't like tv spots i usually don't even like you know don't mind spoilers i just don't like the way they're presented anyway last black widow trailer what do you guys think i said this to you while we were recording or while watching that uh i feel bad that the thing i'm most excited about in this movie is a man because it's awesome that they're we're getting more female superhero movies but david harbour as fat old russian captain america uh, uh red guardian is everything I didn't know I needed in my life. Well, it's funny you bring that up. I was wondering while I was watching that, um, is that what happens to him 
after Stranger Things, like the Russians capture him and like <laughs> is that what they do to him? Oh man! See now, I don't have as much of a connection to David Harbor because I still haven't watched Stranger Things because I'm bad at keeping up on everything that they're putting out lately. I've seen the first two seasons. It was good. I have more connection to Red Guardian, and even that I don't have a huge connection to. I just the combination of him being a big old fat super soldier is incredible. Yeah, that's pretty great. What I am excited for is uh, Florence Pugh playing Yelena Belova. Uh, Florence Pugh was in one of my favorite movies of last year, Midsommar, and this is a much different turn for her. Let her get some range under her belt. I think she, yeah. I'm, I am not completely familiar with all of her filmography. I think she's already shown quite a bit of range, but this is going to be just astounding to see uh, Danny go from... Uh, Florence, she was Danny in Midsommar, go from the flower dress and trippy mushroom horror movie to kicking ass alongside ScarJo. Yeah, so, to Black Widow Jr. Yeah. Did you end up seeing Midsommar? We haven't talked about this, so I'm just going to take this side tangent. What's up, Jess? <laughs> yeah, what's up? Are you, are you talking to me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I missed that one. I heard really good things, though. Watch it. It's like a mushroom trip. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's actually all right I'm, I'm sold um what else do we have here so we've we've brought up news about this show a few times uh and then i saw some news that maybe i don't know might put the kibosh on a bit of the other things that we have announced about it to begin with uh green arrow and the canaries actually hasn't been picked up for oh, a really? show yet i thought it had they're, I mean, they've produced the pilot at least, but we will have more info by May as to whether it's actually even going to be a show. I imagine it will be. It seems unlikely that they'd cancel it, but who knows? I th- it also seems weird that they haven't also... I mean, CW loves being like, yeah, we renewed this show. Look, we got another superhero show. And this one, they're like, we'll tell you in May. They're a little more nervous about this because without arrow i think they're really terrified of losing the cash cow fair fair i think they just need to do a constantine tv show i again that would be great because i really liked the nbc one it shouldn't have been on nbc that was where they went wrong that was always a weird decision it should have been on sci-fi yeah i mean sci-fi did krypton for a couple seasons didn't it yeah which i have not seen but i kind of want to i watched the first season it is really good didn't they bring lobo into that one in the second season i haven't watched that yet but i'm going to because lobo the makeup looked pretty good that's about all i can say about this they did they did old school lobo not that new lobo that they did for a bit oh that that lobo didn't last five years even it's already gone no because everyone hated that you know, look it's too bad because this is, uh, I don't know, like 2016-ish. They did a like kind of femi, skinny Lobo, like actual anime badass Lobo. And like the design wasn't bad, but Lobo was supposed to be like making fun of American hero action movies. So it really like playing him skinny and hot and realistic was not working for like everyone everything about lobo <laughs> but they showed some of the, the the guy that did the redesign showed some of his other redesigns that he set up and one was like full-on like viking space viking terror lobo like ripped to shit that looked awesome 
Fuck it. Give me that. <laughs> Just oh, don't shit. give me what they gave me. Because yeah. I like metalcore music, but he looked like he could be a metalcore lead singer, and that's not a good look for a fucking action hero. Yeah. And the superhero knockoff. Like... Yeah. Oh, this is... So this goes kind of back to almost the, uh, the OG shared universe, uh, but since... Invisible Man was just successful, insanely successful, because I guess it only had like a $7 million budget. Wow. Yeah. So any money you've seen over that has been really, really good for that movie. That's Blumhouse, I, man. That's how they do it. They churn them out. Um, I don't think they are going to link it necessarily yet to Invisible Man, but they are giving James Wan a monster movie. This is... Is, uh, it, is as in they Man connected to the Universal? That's what I was going to say. They as in Universal. Um, it's his movie. The synopsis so far sounds like kind of Frankenstein-ish or a, a takeoff of that. It's supposed to be like a group of kids find out that their neighbor is assembling a monster in his basement. And sounds it's, cool. And it's James Wan and it's Universal right after the success of Invisible Man. So everyone's kind of thinking Frankenstein right now. So are do, do you think they're going to try for like the dark universe line again. Like they were really, they were really determined that the mummy was going to launch a shared universe. And then it didn't because no one wanted to watch that fucking version of the mummy. I think, I think they might just keep them separate for now, but go back to the idea of at least putting out movies based on all of those IPs again. I think it's the right idea. I, and then if they want to later on, they can put out Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and start (laughs) connect all this shit. (laughs) Uh, every every time that someone's like we're creating this new shared universe I'm like well I don't really believe you so them not talking about it and letting us wonder if nothing else I think is the way to go plus Aquaman was really fun I think that was the last thing I saw from Juan so yeah he did like didn't he do one of the Fast and the Furious movies Uh, one of them I don't remember which one though there's like 12 of them I can't keep up anyways Jesse you watched all of them do you remember which one he did uh, no, but whatever which one it was, I guarantee you it was fantastic because those movies are fucking great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I need to get caught up on them still because I keep hearing that beyond the ones that I stopped watching. Yeah, I got turned off on Tokyo Drift and never went back. Uh, yeah, those are the bummer ones. Once you get past those, it's it's just so much fun. It's just I... B-movie, just action spectacle, just crazy bullshit. It's so much fun to watch. <laughs> I kind of like Tokyo Drift. I still kind of like Tokyo Drift. Okay, so I haven't watched this since, like, high school, so I, I could be... I don't think I'm wrong, but I could be wrong. Oh, no, no, I think you're right. I think <laughs> I'm wrong for liking it. It's okay, I like Frank Miller's The Spirit, so I really don't get to judge anyone on bad movie tastes. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> so, Tessa Thompson, in an interview to E.T., accidentally confirmed that Christian Bale will be playing a villain in Thor Love and Thunder. My guess is the Minotaur guy from uh, uh, Dario Agger. That's it. Thank you. Ran what is that? Rexon. Roxon. Roxon. Uh, I think Roxon uniforms have been spotted on set photos for one of the the Disney Plus shows. It, it they're like an evil gas company, so you know, like a gas. It's company. like Exxon uh, on steroids. Yeah, that hires supervillains, and their boss can turn into a Minotaur for reasons I don't remember, but. He was chased into the Minotaur's labyrinth as a child uh, when his father, a shipping magnate, 
private island was overrun by pirates. I love comic books so goddamn much. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think he really wanted to be a Minotaur at first, but he kind of goes along with it now because he knows what kind of edge it can give him. And he's kind of just a giant dickwad that wants to mine all of the nine realms. He didn't mean to become a Minotaur, but he succeeded at it. Yeah. Um, well, does anybody really mean to become a Minotaur? <laughs> yes, I think I do. <laughs> I think that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I think Dario Agger is the obvious choice because he's also Patrick Bateman. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of a role that Christian Bale is built to play. Uh, I've seen people throwing out other ideas that don't make sense to me. But I, and I, some of them are even arguably not villains. But I'm trying to think of who I like, saw somebody throwing out him as Adam Warlock, and I'm like, why? Pass. Yeah. Um. God, I can't remember the other. Uh, Adam Nightmare. Warlock. He threw out somebody threw out Nightmare. I thought Nightmare was going to be in Doctor Strange. Same here. Okay. I'll find out when I watch them. Actually, I'll find out way before I watch the movie. Let's be honest. They're going to tell everyone, but. Um, having read a lot of Thor that has Dario Agger, I don't see Christian Bale playing any other role. But I guess we'll wait and see. Maybe they'll pull uh, Ben Kingsley in Iron Man 3 on us. Why? They've been getting shit for that for like <laughs> 10 years now. Not 10, but many years now. I never played the game, but they are going to be doing an adaptation of The Last of Us video game on HBO. I've heard great things about The Last of Us. Supposed to be super story driven. I have not played it because I don't have a PlayStation. Didn't yeah, same, same here. I'm an Xbox fella, so I had to miss out on that one. Didn't they like get one of the Game of Thrones actors to be in this? Uh, I think that's been some fan cast. Oh, okay. Because uh, everyone's now like, oh, who could you get to play this? And there's been rumors about trying to get. Um, Maisie Williams for a long time, and then I saw somebody throw up uh, a fan-made, fan-casted poster that put um, fucking Jamie Lannister as the main guy. That's the one I saw. Wait, Maisie Williams, and... isn't she a little old for this now? Probably. I was gonna say, she's, that now... she's a full-grown adult at this point, and like, I feel kind of like we should let her be. Like, it's... Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I didn't play the game, so I can't think of any better casting. Looks-wise, I understand why people are going for it, because I have seen the characters, but... Yeah, I know it's it's Naughty Dog, isn't it? The the game company? I think so. Which makes me endlessly laugh, because anytime I think of Naughty Dog, I think of the fact they made Crash Bandicoot originally. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I know, like, 15 years ago now, they went left field and like started doing more serious games but that's who i think of audible is going to be doing an adaptation of neil gaiman's the sandman i've seen visual comic or audio comics as they get called that a lot and it's just audiobooks based off comic stories and i haven't listened to one yet so i can't say it won't work but i'm so curious if it will um the sandman is such a visual medium not medium but story i read the release about this it does sound like there might be some original writing mixed in is 
I haven't read. I saw the headline. I haven't read anything about this. Is Neil involved? Neil or? has read scripts and gave advice. Um, the guy he's working with, he has worked with for years on adap- uh, audiobook adaptations of his work. Uh, so- the director's name is Dirk Mags. He did the audiobook adaptations for Neverwhere, Good Omens, Stardust, and Anansi Boys. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that's about as good of things as you can get to do adaptations for like who who you'd want on that but i don't know i still like i don't know how comics to audiobooks translates and i don't know if i'm just being a dinosaur that likes comic books too much or yeah i don't know how this is gonna work because the visuals in sandman are such a big part of it i feel uh but it is also going to be interesting because it sounds like the storyline they're adapting is uh Morpheus getting captured and then having to uh, regain all of his accoutrements of power, which so means the first, volume. the first volume, which would mean 24 hours. One of the most disturbing comics that DC has ever put out. Right. And uh, what were said accoutrements? If it was his mask and he had a couple things he was looking for, right? The, was, the mask is the big one I always remember because it looks fucking cool. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> Uh, there's the bag of sand that Constantine helps him with. Mm. There's the, what he gets from Dr. Destiny. That's the Ruby. And that's the one where 24 hours is, uh, plays a, is part of that story. I know I read that and I'm just, am not that's remembering Dr. Destiny has, um, dreams Ruby and is just in a diner fucking with the people in there for 24 hours straight. Oh, and the, the story is told hour by hour as it starts off kind of lighthearted. And then he starts like making him fight like verbally and then all sorts of weird mutilation and attacking each other and worshiping him like a god and shit happens. Destiny is somehow one of the most fucked up villains that the Justice League ever like that was ever created for the Justice League comic book. Usually they're like, it's a giant robot or something. And that one I. Well, it's a guy with a skull for a face that drives you quickly insane. Have fun. And he does a number on Dream before Dream manages to eventually one-up him. But anyway, should be interesting. I don't know how interesting, because like you, I just don't know how it's going to work out. But Netflix is giving two Charlie and the Chocolate Factory-based projects to Taika Waititi. Animated. Two, Two of them? Two of them. I, I, heard, I heard about one. Uh, one is going to be more... It sounds like an adaptation straight up of Charlie and Chocolate Factory, but it's going to be at least, at the very least, more closely tied to that story. Uh, and the other one's going to be about the Oompa Loompas, which maybe he can give them a little bit more humanity, because if you go back and read that story, those sections don't age well. I haven't read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory since I was a kid. They're pretty much slaves. Yay! <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, is it just me, or does Taika Waititi have a little bit of Guillermo del Toro syndrome lately, where he's signing up for fucking everything? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, the, only, uh, the only thing I'm thinking with this is at least it's animated. If he can do it, great. I, I am so excited for more Taika Waititi, but like, I feel like there's a new thing, project he signed on to like, every other week at this point. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I love those stories. I love his work. I think his type of humor will work well in that universe. 
I just, I don't know. That's a weird amount of saturation. Even two projects is, feels like oversaturating the Charlie and the chocolate factory market, I guess. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's a lot of demand though. You know, people are clamoring in the streets. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, I gotta get them golden tickets. When I was in middle school, I was in love with that, uh, Tim Burton version, but that was 2005. Oh, I can't stand it. I'm not a fan either, but it was, as I said, it was real popular when I was a kid. I like Tim Burton. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I like Tim Burton. I didn't like that Tim Burton. Or that use of Christopher Lee. Have you checked out the, the pictures for the new Batmobile yet, Jesse? Yeah, uh, I think I really like it. I think so. Uh... Load up a picture. Remind me real fast. Because I'm sorry, I know I've seen it, but just because it feels like a car again. That was the beauty of uh, like the Adam West, you know, Batmobile. Was it, it looked like a car that some guy just decked out. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of the like the animated series car, but not nearly as over the top as that one was. But like we've we've gotten so a little used more to... practical. Yeah, we've gotten so used to the Bat Tank that. I'm excited to see the Batmobile look like a car again. No, and if you were trying to be stealthy and move around the city, you wouldn't have this giant, you know, piece of military technology. You'd have some sleek car that, you know, would take off if you needed it to. The the original Batmobile, like, before they even really called it Bat, he just had a red sports car when he first popped up. <laughs> Which is the most practical way of doing something instead of, like, here's big bat wings on it. Like, right. right. Uh, I think back in the old black and white serials in the thirties, like him and Robin were just cruising around like an old burly Studebaker, right? <laughs> oh, I think you're right on that. I've seen some of those shots, which is really fucking funny. Sometimes. Oh man, I've got those those World War II Batman serials on DVD somewhere, where you that- can like see him drop his smokes. <laughs> <laughs> Take time out to do a commercial for them in the middle of it, and just, oh, okay. <laughs> It's it's stressful out there in Gotham City, man. Every once in a while, you gotta take a smoke break. It would kind of end up just being the uh, the Kevin Smith version of Batman that he always described, with them leaning against the Batmobile, having their smokes, running off screen for the action because they can't really do it back in the day well anyway, and then running back like, "Oh man, wasn't that fucked up? <laughs> Time for another smoke." <laughs> I would watch Kevin Smith make a movie that way, like a hundred percent. I haven't been keeping caught up on this latest season, but with the news from Doctor Who, uh, Bradley Walsh and Tosin Cole will be leaving two of the companions. I'm really disappointed. I'm, I'm disappointed about losing both of them, but I'm really disappointed about losing Bradley Walsh. Me too. I he was really fantastic. Like he was, uh, he was my favorite part of this whole this whole new uh, reincarnation of the Doctor. Uh, Graham was fantastic. He was amazing. Yeah, and. Uh, What's Tosin's character's name? Um, I, I know this. Uh, oh, damn. Yep. No, <laughs> I know Yaz and Graham. I can't remember the fellow's name. I read a book with him just like two days ago. Ryan. His name was Ryan. But anyways. Uh, it's not I, particularly I, memorable. I, I like Ryan. I like Yaz. Graham is so much more. I, I like older companions because you get a little less of the drama and the angst and more of the like, this is amazing. Right, like with uh, Donna's grandfather when he traveled yes, with the doctor for a while. Yes, the best. 
Yeah. Oh, he is so great. Even Donna to herself to an extent, who was, you know, not 19. Donna got better for me upon rewatch. I remember the first time through, I didn't care for her that much. I think every time through, I care for her just a little bit more. Her first episode, I don't care for, but her her run where she's just not only openly not like romantically interested in the doctor, but like actively romantically interested elsewhere was much more entertaining to me than another person pining over the doctor. Yeah, that got old. And I agree. Everyone, all the companions just, oh, you're so dashing. It was neat for a companion to have like an ulterior motive. And she's like, shut up, dude. Plus they can all fuck off. He's mine. <laughs> I do. If I recall though, her first episode had one of my favorite baddies. It was uh, the Ragnos queen, the big spider uh, bitch, right? In the basement. Oh, yeah. 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 That's right. great makeup effects. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Makeup effects are right. They are just on point. Uh, downright Cronenberg-esque. Uh, uh, well, I mean, makeup's a good little segue because it was something that you pointed out when we watched uh, one other trailer before we started this, and that's for an upcoming sci-fi show, Vagrant Queen. It's uh, It's based off a comic book from the company vault which is actually missoula based here that is all i know about the comic vagrant queen uh i i like vaults and they're starting to make some noise but they they haven't picked up the like big boy status in comics yet the trailer looked good what do you think jesse because I, ma- I made sure to text you about it too no you know and I, i'd caught it the other day just on cable you know they did a they just like a tv spot Mm-hmm. Um, no, it looks fantastic. I grew up on that <laughs> sort of red dwarf. Like it's dark and gritty, except for the big bright green lights. Like you know, I love that sort of shit. A bit of Farscape to it, I felt like. Yeah, like... with all the puppets and the yeah, oh yeah, that's right up my alley, man. I'm very excited. To me, it almost felt like uh, a little bit like if you were doing Firefly, but in more of a Douglas Adams universe. With At like least a... with like the ship design, with and... like a touch of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I, I love sci-fi adventure books that lean in, or shows, whatever, that lean into the fact that they're sci-fi adventure and out in space and not just like, welcome to Earth. Oh, right, yeah, high science fiction, I love it. It's my it's my, my mother's milk, man, I love it. Well, that's actually just about all the news I had, too, unless you guys uh, can... I got one, and it's another sad bit of news, but uh, Max Van Sydow oh, died yeah. today. Just today, 90. yeah. So if I, you know, if I die at 90, sure, be sad, but, like, good job, me. So good, good job, Max, for making it that long and working for, like, 50 years. Yeah, I was wondering if you guys were going to bring that up. I was waiting because that man has been in everything. I was going to say, I, from fucking playing chess against death on. Yeah, I know him best as Ming the Merciless in uh, Flash Gordon. Mm. Right. Um, I always, uh, I went and saw Judge Dredd in the theater. And oh, I remember him sure. being the, the badass old judge that came out with the, the trench coat and the big giant gun out of the wasteland. God, side up. Minority Report? I'll yeah, go Minority uh, Report. What about The Exorcist? Oh, dude, I mean, I love The Exorcist, but we still have to talk about that on Fried Squirm sometimes. I, I, I know I brought it up on a way, way early episode on the other podcast I do, Fried Squirms. Me and the Exorcist have a history where I wasn't able to watch it for a long time. And by the time I watched it, it was kind of little kitty for me based on the other things I had already watched. And so I was, it's awesome. And I bought it when I was young, but it's probably not my go-to side. 
there's bits of it that are still pretty creepy. Um, as far as Sidow goes, uh, say what you want about the new Star Wars trilogy, but when The Force Awakens, when you first, he's in that opening scene, right? I wanted more of him. That was that was fantastic. I was in that movie theater, like, oh, here we go. You know, like Max von Sydow, motherfucker, Star Wars, here we go. Like it was it was great. That opening scene was fantastic. When he was in Game of Thrones, and there was something mm-hmm. else because I was reading through his stuff, and I can't think of what it is now. That was just like. Like everything, because he Holy acted yeah. forever. Like, he he acted from the fifties to just I think I mean at least Force Awakens, which was what twenty fifteen. So he acted for sixty years plus. Um, Damn. Yeah, just a shit ton of things. Oh, I mean Dune. That's the one oh, I was thinking right. Of. Yeah, he was in Dune. Yeah, he was uh, Keynes. Yeah, Keynes? he was. Uh, he dies really fast, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, all sorts of stuff. I actually, I always, I mean, Minority Reports, a bit, I actually really like that movie and I've watched it a lot of times, but Me too. Seventh Seal, just because it ties into one of a really good concert experience I had where I went and saw Murder by Death and they were playing clips from Seventh Seal and a couple other Ingmar Bergman films uh, behind them the entire time they played. Is is that the with the devil mm-hmm. one? Okay, yeah, I haven't or actually with seen Death, yeah. That's it. I haven't seen that one, but I know, like it's such an iconic imagery that I know it. Well, and uh, bogus journey. Hmm. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's. I guess with Max von Sydow. Is there anything else we had for news this week? No, that's what I got. Because otherwise, news. I'm newsed out. All right. That's oh, not- I did. I actually, I actually read something interesting. It was just a rumor, but I, I didn't know if you guys heard it, and it was one of the most mind-bending sentences that I'd read in the past couple months. What do you got? Uh, it was a rumor about uh, Space Jam 2. Did you guys read this? Is this the Jim Carrey being in it or something? Yes, 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 it is. It, it Jim Carrey coming back as the mask in Space Jam Yeah, you know, the, the, the character mask? that we've all been clamoring for, the one you couldn't get enough of. This is the rumor, at least, but, I mean, that's, that's all. That's literally all I know about this. There's a rumor. It, I... I would be super happy to see Jim Carrey come back as the mask, not in Space Jam 2, but in like dark, gritty mask reboot where it's a little bit closer to the comics and he's like a chainsaw wielding psychopath yeah, at times. The comic was super murdery. That's what I've heard. I'd be all for that because I know that he can, he has range and could also do a really fucked up take on that character, I think. But... I, I, I think the, the rumor is bizarre and i have no basis of if there's any reality to this or not i have i have no idea this is what i'm hoping not but i I just wanted to bring it up because it it bent my brain oh yeah i will say he does seem to be enjoying the more like kid roles like he did uh dr eggman recently in sonic Sonic, which was you guys did you guys see that movie I have not. I heard it's way better than it had any right to be, but that yeah, that's that's what I heard. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, uh, I keep hearing enough good things that I'm a lot more curious to check it out than I was before. I'm still not willing to like pay for it, but if I go over to someone's house and they're watching it, then I'm super sit down and watch it. But like, I'm... have have you caught his HBO show? Kidding. I've heard it's super good. I haven't had a chance to watch it. It's it's interesting. It's it doesn't make you feel good though. It's one of those shows that kind of makes you feel bitter, mm. you know. Yeah, he's, he's earned that. Jim Carrey kind of gets to be a little bitter, and I don't really hold it against him. Yeah, 
what have we been watching this week? Watching, reading, listening to... Gentlemen? Ingesting. Ingesting. Uh... Uh, okay, I have an easy one, because that's all I've been doing all weekend. Uh, I've mentioned before, I often have a hard time buying new video games, because I have such a big backlog of games that I'm still getting to. Well, I and I recently went really hard on Red Dead to get through most of the main part of the story and kind of burnt myself out a little bit. So I've been looking at something just to to pop to for a couple weeks before I come back and finish off the epilogues. Mm -hmm. And then as I was searching for that thing, Mortal Kombat 11 went on sale. Didn't I hear they're putting Spawn in there? Yes, they are. Yeah, in just like did. a couple weeks. Uh, so two days ago, if you followed us, if you follow us on Twitter, you already know that I picked up Mortal Kombat 11. I just finished the story mode this morning. I am beyond pleased with what they did with it. I've been a fan of this series from way back in the day. There was a lot of time travel in this story and they paid off a lot of things that I've seen throughout the years and done some fun things with characters and shit that I really like. And I could talk about it for a long, long time, and that's not the point of this podcast. So I'm going to leave <laughs> it right there. Well, no, actually, I'm kind of interested because I got it on Jump Street like the week it came out, and I've been kind of waiting for you to jump on the train because I know you're a fan. So, so I will. Uh, I didn't guess everywhere it was going to go because none of the endings of Mortal Kombat 10 hinted at time travel, and so mm. I had no basis of that. Um, for that, but some of the other things that I did think were going to happen happened, and uh, like uh, the invasion of Outworld, right? Huh. Um, because they, if if you don't keep caught up on Mortal Kombat, then especially in the later games, like the, the whole last two generations of games, uh, whenever the story ends, it sort of leaves it at least slightly open ended. Mm -hmm. And then but if there's you go, one ending that's canonical, there's one ending that's canonical. And if you go through everybody's story that they get at the end of their arcade mode, usually you can piece together portions of what's going to happen. Yeah, it's, a, it's pretty traditional fighter. Yeah, because like 70% of them will match up in some ways. And then the other ones are obviously fake. And they're Wildly just to give that character field, a, like... a good ending. Jax goes back in time and gets rid of racism or something, I want to say. Yeah, like, that was great. That was a good one. Uh, <laughs> super satisfying. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just um, out of left field. Yeah, so some of them obviously aren't the ending. Usually 70% of them or so will all like 50% hint at the same thing happening. And so last time around, that was like Earthrealm invading Outworld. Or the Netherrealm, my bad which happens really early on in this and was not as big of a focus as I thought it was going to be because time travel. Right. And, oh, I don't know. Well, we'll have to talk about it more later because I could turn this whole podcast into that. But Yeah, no shit. We'll get there. <laughs> Jesse, what about you, bud? What about me about what? Uh, what you've been playing reading watching oh you know i just uh, finally came across the um what we do in the shadows television show on fx i've been meaning to try that i was a huge fan of the movie i love uh taika watiti and jermaine clement everything they touch i think is just gold so i uh, yeah man i've just been laughing my ass off it's funny as hell didn't tessa thompson do a spinoff of that or something like that yeah, i've heard i i came across that on imdb and uh, i didn't know what it was i haven't seen any trailers or anything i've only read about it in print 
I remember seeing a trailer for it and I never heard about it again. And I think probably just because it's a New Zealand show. So like, were you, um, got, were you as apprehensive copy. going into it as I was loving the movie so much? Sorry, what's up? Were you as apprehensive as I was first going into it because of how good the movie is and being like oh, a TV show? Like, no, because of uh, the creators were still attached to it. I mean, Clement and uh, Taika Waititi were still, you know, executive producers and writers and directors and whatnot. So I wasn't, no. That yeah. level of involvement does tend to help. That does help. Uh, yeah, definitely. How, how about that Vampire Council? Oh yeah, there was. I think there was one or two that I couldn't identify, so I felt like a bad nerd. But yeah, oh yeah, that was fantastic. Awesome. Oh man. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But there was a couple of deep cuts in there, and not only the people that were there, but the people that they referenced that weren't there. Oh, were dude. even better. Yeah. Nice. I I got to get to it. No Taika Waititi is enough. Um, Zach, how about you? Let's see. I I haven't watched or read much new stuff this week. It's been a whole lot of like get caught up on this show, watch some Forged in Fire, do this thing. I think the only new thing has been, I finally read Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars crossover from, like, three or four years ago. Okay. Uh, oh, right. The right. end of his Avengers run, Doom becomes a god and, like, holds the shattered remains of the multiverse so, together. So you read the main Secret, Secret Wars, Wars storyline. Yeah. Because yeah. I've only read, like, three or four of the the side stories. Uh, I've so. I had read a couple of the side stories. I had not read any of Secret Wars itself. I feel like I would have gotten more if I had finished his Avengers run out of it. But Jonathan Hickman really is probably the best ideas guy in Marvel Comics right now. So letting him do big weird shit, even if it's based off a bad old miniseries like Secret Wars, is really satisfying. He's a great science fiction writer. I really overall liked this latest Secret Wars event. I Yeah, and it gives respect to the Fantastic Four. And I feel like the Fantastic Four does not get enough respect. Agreed. And I get it. It's really easy to make them just this like super hokey, leave it to beaver superhero team. Mm-hmm. But that's not who they are if you like actually try and... and crazy space adventurers in the middle of the Marvel universe is such a good concept. Oh yes, it is. That's why uh, guardians of the galaxy hit so well. Yeah. It, and this is just a different era of sci-fi, like in the Marvel universe, like guardians is late seventies, early eighties is star Wars and all the other shit that we love. And then, uh, uh fantastic four is like late fifties, early sixties. But it doesn't have to be everything in it is late 50s, early 60s. But that same kind of like Mm sci-fi. The golden age of retrofuturism. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to – I don't think I actually realized that Hickman wrote that main Secret Wars. Yeah, I'll lend it to you, man. It's good. It's – and it's – I can't think of the artist. He did the God Butcher on Thor. Uh, Oh, shit. Um, I should know that. Don't know. Oh, that's another – that's one of the – the rumors for Christian Bale is Gore. Gore the God. I could see Gore the God Butcher. I'd rather have Dario Agar, but I could see mm-hmm. Gore the God Butcher. Um, anyways, let's take a quick break here now that we've got our news and our reviews. Not reviews, but... Uh, what we've been ingesting? Yeah. And then we will jump into some Red Dwarf. Hell yeah. So we've actually been talking about doing this episode since... 
the first episode of the series, and it's just been getting pushed back and back and back and back and back and back. First, just because we weren't sure where to put it, and then we were like, oh, February is the 20th and 21st anniversary of this first episode launching. We'll do it then. And then life. Just life. <laughs> then life. <laughs> so we're, we're finally here, finally talking about Red Dwarf. Uh, this first episode, as I said, came out in February of 1988. So, sorry, I said 21st, 31st anniversary. Which means with new episodes coming out soon, these guys have been playing these characters for 30 years now. It's fucking impressive. Staying power. It's a good run. Well, and especially because I haven't watched a lot of the new seasons, but it's what I have seen funny. has been pretty fucking funny. I'm like two seasons behind, but it was still just because they're not advertised well in America. So I just didn't realize new ones have come out. So good news for me, but <laughs> yeah, no, the last couple seasons have been like a, a return to form. You know, they kind of drifted some, as far as the fan consensus goes, there was a, uh, after season six, you know, there was kind of a drop off. The the guys had a split. Grant, uh, you know, uh, Naylor and um, Doug something. Rob Grant and Doug Naylor kind of had a split. So one of them split and the other one stayed around. So you could definitely tell <clears throat> that something was missing from the show. And But no, these new seasons, I think they reunited, if I'm not mistaken. So, oh, that's yeah. great. Uh, I know season seven, they tried to go a little more like action drama comedy. Which, as opposed to the much more like waiting and go in space, which is weird. And then season eight, putting them in like prison and bringing the entire crew back. There was some funny stuff to it, but it was so it, it was so weird to watch those seasons after like what Red Dwarf is this. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the jokes were still funny, but it was yeah, it wasn't your grandfather's Red Dwarf for sure. Yeah. Maybe we should set up what Red Dwarf is. I feel like a lot of the other properties we've covered so far on the show are a lot better known that's, than, that's true. than this one. And this one probably deserves to be a little bit better known. Uh, on its surface, it's a Star Trek parody. And that's just on the very vague surface to the point that uh, Patrick Stewart's a big Red Dwarf fan. And he's got a story about uh, flipping through TV one day and seeing Red Dwarf come on and not knowing what it is. And this is while next gen is recording and he's literally apparently reaching to grab the phone to like call his lawyer to be like what the hell and then something made him laugh and he's like all right i'll give this a shot and ended up being on like the documentary that they made about it because he yeah was, that was the uh, the the a to z of red Dwarf. yeah yeah that's one of the things i recorded on pbs like we were talking about so yeah, seen... i recorded on vhs tape back in the 90s for sure yeah i'm having flashbacks today <laughs> uh, but what Red Dwarf really is is uh, the main character Dave Lister played by Craig Barry Craig Charles Craig Charles thank you is the lowest ranking person on this mining ship it, he is the world's bummiest bum but he's also like a charming nice guy he's just kind of gross oh we should say uh, for the purposes of this episode we did kind of focus in on the first two episodes of the yes. show and what you were about to say, the setup for the entire series, is also pretty much the entire first episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, there's going to be some spoilers, but then we'll talk about it. Uh, something goes wrong, or he gets frozen in cryostasis. Something goes wrong. Everyone on the ship dies, and he's let out of cryostasis three million years later. And it's him and, like, a ship's hologram and a cat just being sad in space together. Wait. Explain that. It's not a cat. 
It is a humanoid evolution of his pet cat. Like, the descendants, in the way the apes became humans, this cat became cat. I believe it's a Felix Sapien. That's right. Oh, that's so good. Isn't it? (laughs) And apparently this show took years to get sold, because no one wanted to invest in a sci-fi comedy in 1988. Which you can't really blame them. It's kind of of a bonkers concept. The show should not have worked. No, it definitely shouldn't have, especially with the people they had involved with it. Uh, No, there's no way that any of this should have worked. But hey, like you said, here we are. It's so good. Uh, I'd say on a more meta level and on on one of the ways I try to sell this show to people is you can kind of look at it in a lot of ways, too, as like a proto-Futurama, except live action. I can see that. It's similar, like, useless, kind of, like, useless but charming guy finds himself living a sci-fi dream like but then also uh with the fact that it's cleverly written including science of the era yeah oh yeah it definitely has this sort of air of like douglas adams you know sort of humor about it you know like whoever wrote this script definitely read hitchhiker's guide yeah um it's so britcom it's a british comedy sci-fi and it's it does i know from experience here it does not work without the britcom elements because oh no definitely they, they tried to do the american version they did two different pilots i've only seen one of them have either of you ever seen these oh god you guys could do an entire episode about that alone <laughs> they are yes uh, i guess i've seen them bad i've never actually watched them because i always heard jesse say how bad they are uh the, they're worth the... a watch just because it's interesting to you guys like watching a train wreck don't you <laughs> They they do a documentary on one of the DVDs talking about this because the guy who played Crichton in later seasons, Robert Llewellyn, mm-hmm. agreed to be on that show. He was going to play Crichton on both shows and just different versions of Crichton. Right. And they were like, so did you enjoy doing it? Everyone's super curious. And he's like, well, I put on the stuff that I always wear for Red Dwarf. I said four lines. And there was in the back area this large table with all of this food that I and I could request anything I wanted, and they paid me for this. So yes, I enjoyed myself. <laughs> but like, it's a it's a terrible thing, and they just took like you know generic '90s American sitcom instead of weird British dry sense of humor. But we are we are way ahead of ourselves if we're oh, talking about yeah, the American that, remake. That is years later. Uh, okay, so basics. Who are the characters? We've already mentioned Lister. Uh, I want to throw out a little tidbit about Lister. Not necessarily about Lister, but something else about him. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I find every opportunity that I can to bring up Constantine, it seems like. Is he in it? <clears throat> Constantine should sound like Lister. Yeah, you're right. The is accent- he Scouser? He's a scouser. <laughs> now, uh, I believe Craig Charles will be the first to say that his particular accent isn't quite pure scouse. He has a little bit of extra Glaswegian in there. One of Constantine's longtime girlfriends was from Glasgow. <laughs> uh, so he would sound exactly like Lister. So Constantine should sound almost exactly like Lister. That's amazing, and I, I mean, like, I like the Constantine we have on the TV, but I would like that one so much more. Oh, yeah, Matt Ryan's great, and he's our first Constantine to actually have an English accent, so that helps, but he doesn't have the right English accent, which is, he should sound like Lister. 
Uh, but Lister, as I said, is a bum. He's he reminds me a lot of like biker bum friends that my parents had when I was a kid, if we're being honest. Like nice, well-meaning guy, kind of disgusting. The 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 one that got me that didn't used to get me as a kid, I thought it was funny, and I was just like, oh Jesus, is how he kept sticking his cigarette in his ear anytime <laughs> that he was I wrote that down. That's in my notes. That's funny because <clears throat> I've actually used that like shooting pool and stuff over the years. It's yeah. I, I can see it. Like it makes a kind of sense, but Oh God, that's so gross. It really is. Well, you know, it throws people off when you're trying to play pool. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you have Lister, then uh, Arnold Judas Rimmer, BSC, SSC. Brit, uh, bronze swimming certificate and silver swimming certificate. He is the second lowest ranking person on the ship and like Lister's nemesis who is brought back as a hologram, which is why he has a big H on his head, to keep Lister sane. Do did, they either, men- did either one of you read the novel, the first novel, Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers? I read part of it. Well, that's what I was about to bring up. because Well, because actually- it opens up with that, the book starts with that segment about, I think it was Saunders and his, uh, him having to sign over paperwork and whatnot, him just becoming a hologram and, you know. Mm-hmm. So it really, uh, the book kind of touches on that. But yeah, uh, Rimmer is just kind of brought back as this, this hard light hologram, or soft light hologram, sorry. Yeah, he gets hard light later on, which means that he can touch stuff. Uh, I can't remember, in the show, do they ever actually say that it's to keep him sane? Because I know that they actually, I'm pretty sure they explicitly say it in the book. In the book, they they talk about it because he is talked, but I I think somewhere in the show when he's really frustrated with Rimmer, they talk about like he has interacted more with Rimmer than anyone else on board. Oh, that's right. Uh, So he was the best choice. They definitely bring it up. In one of the later seasons, uh, Lister gives a speech where he mentions that, oh yeah, Holly brought Rimmer back to keep me saying, you know, a job he did very well and whatnot, you know. Because if it's just just your friend, you're just going to go off and do shit, but you need someone that's going to challenge you, someone that's going to give you, someone that's going to piss you off to keep you motivated, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and he is the most petty bitch of a character <laughs> in the history of science fiction, and I love Snaghead. that. He is, uh, apparently, the actors legitimately didn't like each other for several years. I could see that. Which bled through, I mean, because he's, I've watched some interviews with him, he's a little rimmerish. Like, there's an episode of season four that got delayed because it was critical of war, and they had, Desert Storm had just started. Mm. And every other actor was like, what the fuck? And he was like, no, I completely get why the, you would, like, not do an anti-war story during a time of war. And I was just like, oh, God, that's the most Rimmer, <laughs> the most Rimmer shit I've ever heard. Uh, it sounds like they have gotten over it, and part of it is just getting older and getting past your own ego a little bit. Yeah. But he apparently once said, uh, told him, shut up, we're supposed to be space heroes in between takes, because he was really annoyed. That's fucking funny. Um, it sounds like... Uh, Mr. Craig Charles wasn't the best coworker to have. It sounds like he would show up late and frequently hung over for, for shoots when everyone's sitting That's around on great. set waiting for him. He did sort of have uh, some substance abuse problems, I want to say, in the early 90s. Uh, That's a bummer. I seem to recall hearing an anecdote. That's also the most that, thing I've ever heard, so... <laughs> there was an anecdote that I heard. Uh, the director, producer, uh, Paul Jackson... Uh, Craig Charles hadn't shown up. He was late for a shoot. And when he finally showed up in the parking lot, 
Mr. Jackson went outside and grabbed him by his T-shirt, you know, just wretched him up. Like, what are you doing? And then his T-shirt came off in his hand and kind of ripped off and they kind of had a chuckle about it. But yeah, he he was manhandling these guys because they were kind of drunk and upset all the time. They were kind of unwieldy. Oof. Again, very lister of it. Like these guys, anytime I've seen interviews with literally any character of Red Dwarf, I feel like they just encapsulate who they're playing. They would. They said, um, <clears throat> Craig Charles said that they would have conversations at lunchtime and then something that they had said would wind up in a script. Jesus. And they'd be like, well, do we get a writing credit for this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a fair, fair point, but I will, I will buck that trend of them bleeding over in their interviews only because most of the interviews I've seen of Danny John Jules was when he was doing press for Blade 2. And he does not act like Cat in no. interviews for Blade 2. But he's super fucking cool still. <laughs> That's true. That's uh, true. He's super fucking cool still. Which brings us to Cat, who is, you just said his name and I've already forgotten it. And he's Danny my John favorite Jules. character. Danny John Jules, who is a cat. He is the essence of cool. He's very aware of it and of how good looking he is. He's... He's a cat in human form, and they did a really good job of bringing across a cat's personality Ow! in leisure suits. Right. Uh, well, he is so... So Lister has this unquarantined cat that he picked up, right? Frankenstein! Right, and he uh, he's kind of keeping it on the sly, and it's kind of living in the air vents and because it, it's, it's against the rules, no? Mm-hmm. And then he gets busted by the captain. Uh, and the reason it's against the rules is because it's just dangerous to have an un uh, an untested animal on board like if it gets into the they talk about the wires like that could go terribly for holly and if it's got any kind of disease or something it on that ship i'm sure any sickness just fucking tears through so yeah, we, we have this scene here with the virus like 28 or something Jesus. covid 2019 hey that's not funny man i don't uh, so we have this scene with uh, Captain Hollister, right? The Captain of Red Dwarf? Yeah. Do you guys recognize this fellow from anywhere? I know. Where do I know him from? I, I recognize, but I mostly know him from Red Dwarf. Well, his uh, the actor's name is Mr. Mac McDonald. Mac McDonald. He was, um, he was in The Fifth Element, I think, most famously. He was one of the cops he was the cop. that went to McDonald's. Oh, shit. In the beginning. That's amazing. I think he was also one of the Marines and Aliens. Oh, okay. And huh. I, I, oh, knowing shit. that, I, I looked up his IMDb filmography, and I also found out that he was in The Empire Strikes Back. He was a rebel pilot. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, so this guy wow. has some serious uh, science fiction cred. Jesus. I didn't realize that. He was a goon in uh, Tim Burton's 89 Batman. Okay. Wait, I think I know... I think I which goon? Think no, the, the, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't say specifically which goon. <laughs> I did. I want to back up just for a second. This is all super fucking cool, and my head's still spinning. And I think I might know which pilot too. But <laughs> um, just because we've brought up the book a couple times, a book does exist if you want to read it. Now, a few books exist. Uh, Infinity welcomes careful. Dry, um, four, five, four books. Either way. Uh, anyway, the first one, Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers, is the one that would most pertain to how we're talking about Red Dwarf today. The books are an alternate universe, but I do think they're useful for filling in some of the information. Yeah, you have 
room to fill in gaps that may not come up in a 25-minute science fiction show, but in a 300-page book. Uh, like, the when we went out and explored the universe, it was empty. The Red Dwarf universe is one in which only humanity exists, and everything they run into is experiments left over from humanity over the course of three million years. And even that only started happening when they were like, we've done this for three seasons, we're running out of shit to do alone on this ship. But just stuff like that. I don't, I don't know. Uh, the, book, the book version of, of Lister actually uh, intended to get caught with Frankenstein. He, his plan included going into cryostasis. Oh, oh that's right. I'd forgotten about that. Uh, and it was for like a much longer time too. It wasn't like eight months. It was like ten years or something stupid. Like, right? Uh, the the book is definitely di- it's different than a lot of stuff where it's like the TV show based off the book. The books were came after the TV show came out, and uh, they actually retconned some stuff in the later seasons to match the book because they decided it was better. Uh, in this episode, he is clearly like he's flirty with Kachansky, but he's not. There's no indication that there'd been a relationship, and they later redid that so they had actually mm-hmm. dated. It does make Lister a little less creepy obsessed with her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Christine Kachansky. And I actually get it. Like, this is the girl he had a crush on. He di- uh, the, every, He gets put in stasis. Everyone dies. I would probably super obsess about that woman, too. Well, and she is his like his character's sole motivation for everything. Like his his reason for getting up in the morning in this godless universe he finds himself in is maybe someday he'll be reunited with his love. You know? Yeah, which is kind of bizarre when he doesn't really know her. So I like yeah. makes sense to me why they were like, okay, let's. So they did have something. Let's. By the way, yeah. Kachansky's uh, really cute. I get it. Both both actresses who play Kachansky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had uh, Claire Grogan. I think was the the first one. Mm-hmm. And she does it up through season four into occasional appearances. Right, and then uh, in I think season seven, Miss Chloe Annette came in. Yeah, the original actress had quit acting and was working as like a news announcer or something, and just didn't have the time to. Oh shit! Okay. To go, you know, play on Red Dwarf anymore. I don't know how. We were already into the episode, and I forgot to bring this up. What awesome comedic balls do you have to have to name your first episode The End? Yeah, that's brave. And awesome. And, by the way, they're all dead, Dave. They're dead, Dave. (laughs) Oh, my God. Everybody's dead, Dave. Everybody is dead, Dave. (laughs) I, I do, like, as funny as it is that he's been, like, sampling the crew, like putting his finger in it and then licking his finger. It's it's a great gag. But I keep being like, you know you're on like a nuclear-powered ship, man. You do not put random dust in your mouth. Like, yeah, I don't maybe know. the first time, but is is human ashes that are probably irradiated that tasty? Like So right. So uh Dave Lister gets thrown in uh as punishment for keeping this animal, he uh, gets thrown in suspended animation to forfeit his wages. Is that right? He forfeits his wages, and he's kept in suspended animation, so that way they don't have to, you know, like... And it was supposed to be, what, 18, 18 months? Yeah, the, the rest of the voyage, because they're a, a mining vessel around Jupiter. Right, so uh, then the drive plate blows. 
because Rimmer fucks it up because Lister's not there to help. We find out later. Although, uh, why they let the guy whose job it is to fix the chicken soup dispensers fix the drive plate is uh, (laughs) a little beyond me. The Scudders have a better union. (laughs) Jesus. I love the Scudders. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, uh, Lister stumbles out of his Lister stumbles out of his pod and immediately starts just eating the crew, like you mentioned. Just there's this white powder everywhere from everyone that's been irradiated. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't immediately start pecking at shit I see in piles in the room. When I was like a little kid, maybe like I'll be more likely to eat stuff. But I know what germs. Oh, to be fair, Lister does not know what germs are. It seems like <laughs> he's like <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's turned out fine so far. I just, I don't, if you're going to do anything with a strange, I mean, I guess you taste it first, but. And then you're expecting him to snort the crew is where we're yeah, going here? Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm going. I'm <laughs> expecting him to snort the crew. I don't know. I, I I would like to assume it was at least somewhat tasty if he just continued to do it. He must have been. You know who we haven't talked about here? Holly. Holly. And oh, it, Mr. Norman oh, Lovett always gets forgotten when you're talking about main cast members, but he absolutely was for the first two seasons, mm-hmm. especially before Crichton came on board. Oh, and, he, yeah. and even when Hattie, what was Mc, Hattie's Hattie McDaniels? That's it. When she took over for a couple seasons, she wasn't used as often, but she was a dedicated, like part of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, from by all accounts, Norman Lovett was a big pain in the ass. Like he was very vocal with the producers, and he made demands, and he was kind of a bitch by his own admission. He looks like he would be a pain in the ass. Well, for instance, it was supposed to be just a voiceover part initially, but he fought tooth and nail. But like, well, no, why? Why can't they yeah, see me? I'm gonna be there. It's more. I'm goofy looking. Put me. Put me on the screen. So that it was, was that was absolutely the right call, though. I think so too. Oh, I completely agree floating head holly just hanging out talking to them saying weird shit because he's been on for three million years maybe we should actually say that holly's the ship's computer yeah god i'm sorry guys and if has you haven't I... watched this show this show episode is so confusing uh and has what's the iq uh, six thousand oh six thousand yeah the same iq like... is twelve thousand pe teachers that's right <laughs> <laughs> wow you do know this show uh <laughs> oh i could start quoting space core directives if you'd like <laughs> So, but Holly has also now been on the ship alone with no one cat to. culture <laughs> rising up around him for really three million up, years. Like, how did the cats respond to Holly? Like, did he just not talk to them or? Well, they were sealed off in the cargo hold, weren't they? That's true. And he couldn't access. So he could tell there was shit down there, but I don't think he was able to communicate with them. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I forgot about that part. That makes as much sense as anything I can think of. That's for sure. I mean, I think I think in the books they went into that. I, they're they've shown pictures of the new special showing more of cats from cat culture, and I'm so excited. Me too. Yeah. That's they haven't all the things they've done subsequently. They haven't touched on any of that cat culture. That's gonna be super cool. Uh, they waited think, thirty years to bring it back. I think one of my favorite episodes is where you meet like his grandfather who like dies in the middle of it. Oh, in the hats? Yeah. Uh, oh, the old priest, the old cat priest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the poor the poor old man cut his nose open while he was filming that scene. Oh, no. When he flops back over dead, if you watch, the hat plastic hat slides forward, and it splits oh, the bridge of his nose he open. cuts his nose? Ew. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. 
So everyone's dead. Lister's eating them. And then we get the return of Rimmer. Who, as much as a little bit of Rimmer is, he gets some really good insults in. Like, a lot. Oh, it's, uh, it's almost uh, like John Cleese in Faulty Towers-esque, the way he rants and raves and bitches at people. <laughs> we mentioned the hologram thing before. It was set up earlier in the episode. But, yeah, turns out this is an awesome sci-fi future where if you die, you don't come back, but a hologram is made with all your experience and memories. Yeah, like if you're useful to the crew or something like that. So, like, the, high, the, the ship can hold one hologram. So the highest ranking person on the ship that they need gets the job. So in this case, since they need to keep Lister alive and sane, Rimmer's the best option for the job. He's suddenly the most important part of the mission. (laughs) Which is terrible. (laughs) I just made, that sentence just made me laugh. Yeah, I know. Rimmer being the most important part of any mission is the worst fucking thing but but the beauty of it is that goes back to holly because that was holly's decision holly could have brought back anybody from the crew but he brought rimmer back specifically to keep lister sane because he says later on he was the best man for the job Mm -hmm. so i mean he uh, i mean if you're going to bring back the most important man on the crew damn sure wouldn't be arnold judith rimmer (laughs) maybe ace rimmer ace is great uh They do talk about how the fact that it it doesn't come up as much in this season, but in later, that Holly has robot dementia. So maybe his decision-making stuff gets uh, a little tweaky there. So then uh, Rimmer comes in and immediately starts bitching at Lister like nothing had happened. Like Mm -hmm. bitching at him for smoking in the drive room. and Tries to put him on report immediately. Yeah, but he can't grab his report book, right? Yeah. But he'll remember it. (laughs) <laughs> he's like you have to be my hands like, i've seen the things you touch i'm not i'm not doing that oh yeah the part that uh, i can't remember exactly how far it is after all that happens but when it connects uh lister's original plan to basically the cat mythology i fucking crack up every time all the fucking cloister the stupid yeah it's not cloister uh they, they meet cat they realize what cat is he does a very good job of playing an idiot cat. And you find out that the Lister talked about his plan throughout this episode. His five year plan was to go to Fiji, which was underwater at that point, but he figured it'd be okay. uh, Three feet below sea level, I believe. (laughs) Um, And he's going to raise a sheep and a cow and three horses and breed horses and breed horses. That's it. And he's going to run a sheep and the cow. And he's going to run a hot dog stand. And the cats have taken the story that he was telling Frankenstein and turned it into the basis of their civilization. He be, instead of Lister, he's Cloister the Stupid. They're going to Fuchsia. <laughs> right, and this is all in the first episode. So not only do we have this concept of this motherfucker being out of time, which is a high science fiction concept in and of itself, but now we're going to tackle religion as well. Like, it's very auspicious for a television pilot, if I may say so. Yeah, uh, I, I was telling Tyler before we started, I had, I've had i been watching this show for 20 years now. I did not realize until today that the opening song actually is exactly like Lister's story. Oh, him wanting to go to Fiji. Yeah, and, uh, oh, yeah like, the end credit song, right. Because I was always like, that song makes no sense. It's cold outside, there's no kind of atmosphere, I'm all alone, more or less. 
I want to fly far away from here. Fun, fun, fun in the sun, sun, sun. And later on, something about like eating fresh mangoes. Lie. I want to lie shipwrecked and comatose, That's eating, uh, sipping fresh mango juice, goldfish shoals, nibbling at my toes. Fun, fun, fun in the sun, sun, for sun. For years, I've been like, this is the weirdest fucking song. And no, it's literally about how he's like, God, I wish I was in Fiji right now. See, now I interpret it darker. Uh-huh. It's, I wish I was in Fiji right now, but the whole first verse set it up that he's out in space. I think the second verse is better than life. Oh, yeah. And I think the second verse is more is probably more like the book version of Better Than Life, which is way stronger than the show version, or way yeah. more uh, deceptive. That's the the hologram, like live your best life. Video yeah, the game video game setup. Yeah, which the book and the first book's ending is dark. I want to say that season. If the other books never existed, it is a super dark. End. <laughs> yes, for sure. But those are also really fun episodes. Video game exists. That I mean, the name is describes it better than life. People go into it and they just don't come out because it's better than life. Yeah, that's oof, fair enough. Um, uh, then we go into future echoes. Should we just go right? Into yeah, the like second he decides episode? he's going to go home to Fiji, and we jump forward to future echoes. Well, what I love the most is Lister is blown away by the fact that he's he's a god. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll lead you there. I'll lead you to Fiji. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm it's me. And and the cat, meanwhile, couldn't be bothered to give a fuck in the slightest. <laughs> you know what I mean? He should be odd. He should be awestricken to to meet his his lord. But he's like, no, whatever. I don't give a fuck. He just wants to eat crispies. I I think you're dumb. Like he doesn't even believe he's cloister. <laughs> like, well, and it's just the perfect cat mentality too. Like, okay, yeah, fine, cool. whatever. Give me the food. Yeah. So then they decided well, to talk about the to... idea of it be, kind of being like a proto Futurama. Like, how many times has Bender been a god now? Oh, these twice. He uh, was a pharaoh of ancient couple. Egypt once. Uh, anyway, Future Echoes. As we jump into that, I have to mention Future Echoes is one of my favorite in the entire you series. You have mentioned it several times as like one of your favorite sci fi's. Uh, before we even jump into it, I love the intro that they do of every episode of the first season of the show Red Dwarf, like the, the words. And suddenly you see someone painting it, and it's turns out it's Lister, who's so low that his job is to like go outside and whitewash the building. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's called PD. I think it stands for painting duty. I assume, and it's a uh, it's punishment. Like if you fuck up, you know, if you break a rule, it's uh you get you know PD for two weeks. So you have to go out and paint the shit. Uh, if you ever get a chance to watch the blooper reel, he fell off once while doing that. <laughs> And it's better. <laughs> it's like, because it's just him doing that and then suddenly like, oh, oh, oh and falls. And they should have used that one. That's what I think. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> uh, but future Echoes, they have decided that they are going to go, the, the original idea is the Lister's going to go back into cryosleep and Holly's going to turn around and fly at light speed, which they've been traveling like just below light speed for three million years. They're going to turn around and go back home because the ship's been contaminated and they were waiting for the half-life yeah for the radiation to reach a safe background level but now they're like oh fuck okay it's time to go back to earth but like we'll have holly go faster in light so we'll get there faster and we'll put lister and the cat back in and rimmer's spending the whole episode going back and forth between like i want to i want to stay on Mm -hmm. i'll just be alone on the ship that sounds great to me because he's afraid that if he gets switched off, that Lister won't turn him back on. Yeah. 
Which I feel is a pretty grounded fear. He, if I was rumored, I'd be pretty fucking afraid that somebody would turn me back on. Like, would you guys want to be a hologram if it was an option? I mean, I kind of realize it's probably not. It's not like I go to bed and I wake up and I'm a hologram. Like you're you're dead. It's something that just has all your memories. But say it's you. You know, part of me, yes, but it kind of like. Rimmer, especially once he gets the hard light hologram and he's able to, like, just travel and be a person. Yes, that sounds fun and interesting. But, like, early Rimmer is kind of just a slave to this ship that can get shut off at a moment's notice if, like... Or a beehive hairdo. Or get a beehive hairdo. Or Which comes up. Get, is that this episode? Yes, yes. it is. Sorry, I, I did not get a chance to watch Future Echoes before we recorded this. I've seen this episode a million times, but... Yeah, someone with the beehive hairdo. Oh my god, it's so good. So where were we in the episode, fellas? Uh, right, well, they, they... well, we're still right at the very beginning, but I'm, I just almost wanted to say, like, for me, one of the reasons I love this episode is this is where a lot of the, the sci-fi cleverness starts to come through. Yeah, and you start to get more of who these characters really are as opposed to the first episode, which was plot setup. Mm-hmm. Because I, God, I love just... It's in the title, Future Echoes. Like, uh, I love them running into the Future Echoes. I love the writing. The, the, the idea is here that when they start going faster than light, uh, light, time starts hitting them differently. And the longer they're at light speed, they, they start seeing echoes of stuff that will happen. But just, like, hints of it. Uh, and the farther, the longer they're in light speed, the farther forward in time it goes. So when it first starts happening, it is... Uh, light... 10 seconds in yeah, the future uh, or more than that, but not by much a conversation which, they're about to have, which is sort of, that is sort of Einstein's relativity theory. No. And it's so brilliantly done. God, that's wow. one of my favorite things about this show is it introduced me to a lot of these things that turned out to be, I mean, at the time they were just science fiction gobbledygook, but you know, the multiverse theory and, and all these things. And all of a sudden all these scientists are talking about these things. I'm like, Oh shit. When you first start watching the show, it's really easy to write it off as really dumb because parts of it are just insanely dumb. But it is so clever underneath it that just holy shit. Like, mm-hmm. uh, this episode, we get the introduction of Talkie Toaster. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you want some toast? Talkie Toaster, I would not want. Uh, Cece stopped eating bread recently. And I feel like Talkie Toaster would launch a robot rebellion if something like that happens. <laughs> like, I feel like if I had Talkie Toaster, I would stop eating bread as well. <laughs> or maybe I wouldn't. Blister does. He ends up smashing the toaster eventually. Like, I just wouldn't times. want a toaster that could outsing me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we start getting these strange time dilations, which, again, this show was my introduction to the concept of a time dilation. Uh, and especially that first conversation where Rimmer walks in and Lister starts talking to him and can't figure out why Rimmer is having a completely different conversation with him. And then Rimmer walks out the real, and it's like, it turns out it's a future, future echo and the real Rimmer walks in and has the same conversation and it all makes sense. And they play that, it so well. That, uh, that scene is one of my f- one of my favorite scenes ever put down on television. Like the I, way I, they, the way they play it, it's fantastic. 
it's one of the best written sci-fi scenes I've ever seen. And it's so funny at the same time. That's well, and it, it illustrates the point too. Like this, this crazy, like astrophysics concept. They explain it so well with comedy, just by having this weird Bob Newhart kind of scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they start to realize that these echoes of the future are something that will happen. Like it's not a possible future. It's the, the future. future. And part of it, when they realize what what's next. Uh, well, next is Cat's Tooth, right? Yep. The cat's tooth breaks. Or the, they, they see an image of the cat running by screaming about his tooth being broken. Right. And, and then they're... we see the cat trying to eat one of Lister's robot goldfish, whom are named Lennon and McCartney. Yeah. yeah. I love the but, go- but the Roger. cat doesn't know that they're robots. And he, he spends most of the episode trying to eat them, I want to say. Yeah, like... I think Lister chases him off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the uh, because he doesn't break the tooth until actually break the tooth until more towards the end of the episode, because then Rimmer thinks he sees Lister get blown up. Right. Something just because I wasn't reading my notes well enough. I, I want to back up just real quick to that the conversation in the control room mm-hmm. and all of that. And there's one thing that I'm maybe you guys remember better than I do. I'm curious if it ever gets brought up again that jumped out to me and was of particular interest uh does the marijuana gin ever get brought up again no you know i wrote that down in my notes as well i don't remember it ever coming up again no i just is, there's is no it just, there's not a pothead <laughs> is it just is it just gin infused with marijuana i have to imagine that's what it is you know i think that exists now so like hey just another way that red dwarf was ahead of its time oh man i'm so ahead of its time uh, I love I, that that's what you got hung up on, Tyler. <laughs> weed gin. I don't normally like gin that much, but maybe if weed was in it, I'd give it a shot. Indeed. But no, actually, that's in my notes. It's funny that you brought that up. No, I have no idea what marijuana gin is. And I've thought about how fun it could possibly be to make marijuana infuse mead. Just saying. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that being popular. One thing I did want to mention about that drive room scene, the first time around... Lister's really interested in what Rimmer's trying to say. You know, he's like, I just want to be left on. He's like, what do you mean left on the own for the rest of your life? And then it goes all crazy. So it's weird that Lister is actually trying to listen to this asshole. And, but they have this disconnect. Lister kind of Lister cares about Rimmer. He's just not very happy about it. That's a good way of putting it. (laughs) Cause it comes up later when Rimmer's not in the show for part of a season and Lister misses him. Oh, and they have that. <laughs> and like and that's everyone's response. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? And it's part of you know, as gross as Lister is, and as dumb as Lister is, because he's both of those things to extremes. He is a legitimately nice, caring person, though. Yeah, um, it almost uh, it's kind of nice that like if that was the last of humanity, you're kind of like, well, okay, we could do worse. It could have been Rimmer. <laughs> I don't remember. I was going to say something. They marijuana gin. Yeah, uh, man, just hung yeah, up. On. No clarity there. I've got nothing for you. All right. Uh, next, they see Rimmer thinks he sees Lister blow himself up, and mm-hmm. he's really excited about the fact that Lister's going to die, and is like super enjoying not telling Lister about it, but being like, "Oh, it's bad." It's terrible. It is. It really does drive home what a piece of shit Rimmer is. Parts of you explode. (laughs) Like, 
Um, and the rest of the episode is just existential angst of if you know you're going to die, can you change your future to stop it? Like this episode takes a super dark turn here and, and keeps it going for the rest of the episode. Like it, it doesn't let up. It takes a super dark turn, but ends with what part of what draws me to this episode is this giant, uh, goal that they reach that at this time, this early in the series seems impossible. And that's, you end up with a for sure future where Lister has two children and they're on board. Yeah, because it turns out, like, he's really worried he's going to die. He tries to stop Cat from breaking his tooth and makes the cat break his tooth instead. Uh, and then he has to go fix a problem techno babble Mm-hmm. thing. Uh, there was a problem with the drive computer. It couldn't cope with the... Um, they were at light speed, right? So it was frying the navigation circuits. Which is why they stopped going to light speed, I believe, after this, because it's just... The ship can't handle it. Right. And he thinks he's going to explode, and he's, like, brought a bat with him so he can fight death. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna... Yeah, you can't whack death on the head. <laughs> if he comes uh, yeah, to his that. nipples off. <laughs> Which uh, is interesting, because in a later on uh rimmer has an altercation with the grim reaper and uh kicks him in the nuts and runs (laughs) yes exactly um oh my god i love this show so much breakcom is amazing and another point where rimmer's a super piece of shit is like lister thinks he's going to die and is like prepping in for it and rimmer like leans out to watch with like his ears plugged like from around the corner like with just this look of sheer joy on his well, face it's because he's dead isn't it and it, we all want everyone to be in our club you know, <laughs> rimmer's in the on the last as much as lister is the last human being alive rimmer's the last dead human being alive yeah he'd be the last man standing if lister dies or maybe he you know if you <clears throat> it's been shown in the show that if you divert the ship's resources you can support more than one hologram so, so yeah, if you, did, shut off if you didn't need heat or oxygen, you could have a Rimmer and a Lister, and they'd both be dead and both be holograms, and <laughs> they'd both be in the same boat. Maybe he just wants an equal. You know, Rimmer, his whole thing is being less than. Yeah. His, mm-hmm. his whole story arc is being like, fuck, man, I tried my best, but I was never able to be up to snuff. I tried my best, but I kind of suck. <laughs> yeah, like, it's true. It's like the odd couple if they both suck. Rimmer is an absolute piece of shit, but at the same time, he's a kind of, like, compelling... I really like Rimmer, He's even though he's such a piece of shit. Yeah, I, I like hate him in person. And he's always got a pen. Yeah. That's that's very true. He, he's always useful. It, it, he, the, the, the computer doesn't explode. He's like, fuck, I guess I'm not going to die. And they walk back to their bunk because they're still bunking together, like in the same bunk bed set up that they had before. Well, uh, that's because the rest of the ship hasn't been decontaminated yet, right? Yeah, uh, I think that's what they eventually settle on. That, like, as seasons go on, you get to see more and more of the ship as more of it's made nicer because the ship's the size of a city. The ship oh, is massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like the officer quarters get freed up they move up to nicer quarters um the only thing they never really explain is over the years the uniform changes significantly and they never bother to touch on that um there are some compelling fan theories that i'd I'd like to subscribe to hit me with it well uh 
basically every um every season is a different universe right like they another one of the high science fiction concepts that this show introduced me to was uh, the multiverse theory right mm-hmm. and it delves into that you know you get ace rimmer and you get dimension jump and whatnot so they just said that every season is a, a different version of the same thing in a, a parallel dimension i have heard that rumor before so when it, I mean, it's just because, you know, they got more money and whatever, like yeah, there's they, logistical they, reasons. But as far as canon goes, I, I always thought that was fascinating and I always really liked it. I could, I mean, I, I already accept like the books as being an alternate universe within this same yeah, universe. That's, that's like, definite, uh, valid headcanon, if nothing else. Like, yeah, it's, uh, I don't see any reason why not. The, the because universe, every season is drastically different. Than the even the books have alternate universes. The Right, yeah. The uniforms that they get later on that are that kind of like shiny. He's got like a green one, a blue one, and a red one. All oh, he's got the he's got the red one when he's soft light, and then he goes to hard light, and he gets the blue one, right? Yeah, and then he had green before that. Yeah, and all of those are really good looking uniforms. So sweet. I don't care why we have them. I'm just glad that we get that instead of the like Boy Scout uniform that they're basically wearing in those early seasons. Now, for those of you listening at home. If all of this sounds up your alley, there is one other crew member that, although is not in this episode, I feel like we should bring up. We got to talk about Crichton. We got to talk about Crichton if we're going to talk about Red Dwarf, even though he's not in this episode. Because if we're trying to get somebody into Red Dwarf, Crichton's going to be a big part of that. so funny. So Crichton is first seen in the second season and then becomes a cast member in the third season under different actors. Uh, do you know the actor, the first actor to play Crichton? Oh my goodness. You know, I used to, I think it was, it's not Tony Hawks. Uh, Tony Hawks was the dispenser with the lisp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't, I can't think of the fellow, but I know I, and then it's Robert Llewellyn. I want to say mm-hmm. afterwards. Who yeah, just... I know it was Robert Llewellyn that took over the part eventually. Just I think the character was based on a short story he'd written about a robot. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, he's a robot butler. Straight he's up a sanitation like, droid. Oh, that's it. But he'd been like working as a butler or something. And he basically buttles a lot. He, yeah, he, he buttles. And he is the only like capable person on board the ship. But he also has like panic attacks and gets super weird at all times. And he gets like super devoted to Lister. He's incredibly neurotic. <laughs> but one of my favorite things about Crichton is after their three million year voyage into the void, he is the last remnants of the old world that they find. Yeah. And he's, he's the last bit of this technology that works that can like, oh, yeah, I'm just kind of been sitting here hanging out. He's more advanced than a lot of their stuff. Like a lot of times in later seasons, you'll encounter stuff that happened farther in the future than lister was from and he was able to be like oh well in you know the 40th century this happened right or he talks about their their ratings in the magazine mm-hmm. like consumer reports <laughs> yeah like the <laughs> 4000 series got best mechanoid five years running because it likes to sacrifice itself for humans <laughs> creighton is another place where it uh, Around season three is when they started traveling more and like leaving the ship more and having Crichton around to help with that was very good because they needed some character that wasn't going to just die automatically. Well, and he was sort of like the data character. He'd always, when they were flying off somewhere, he would always do the techno babble, the exposition to set up whatever they were doing. 
the only problem with Crichton, and I say problem with it's not much of a problem, is Holly became really superfluous after Crichton. Like, both mm-hmm. characters weren't really needed at the same time. I would agree with that. Uh, because before that, Holly was their exposition person, but he couldn't leave the ship, so there was only so much you could exposition with him. Or her, depending on which version of Holly. Right, and they like they would put him on a TV screen in early episodes and like cart him out places. Yeah, Dave's got, uh, Lister's got like a watch in one episode. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, oh, was it? Uh, that was Waxworld, I want to say. The watch was Stasis Leak. Oh, yeah, okay. God no, but they go. There's an episode where it's the anniversary of Rimmer's death, and they're out uh, cooking sausages on a on an asteroid, and Holly's out on a on a monitor. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's in the second season, I think. Right. Well, uh, I guess I got just uh, a question. Of, Future Echoes is one of my favorite episodes. What do you guys have any episodes that jump out to you as your guys' favorite or favorites? Waxworld. Waxworld is an episode in the fourth season where they find a wax museum planet and it's wax droids instead of like wax statues, but they've become sentient and aware and it's become a war between like the greatest figures in human history versus the worst people in human history. So like Hitler and Stalin and the Roman emperor that like Rasputin. Yeah, Rasputin was one of them versus like Mother Teresa, Pythagoras and Lincoln and Mahatma Gandhi, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, uh, Elvis and Rimmer finds these people and decides that he's going to lead the good guy wax droids into victory against the evil. Like this is his chance to play like general and risk in real life. And it's just stupid funny. Uh, there, there's a comment of why is Mahatma Gandhi practicing hand-to-hand combat with a nun? <laughs> That's <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Mother Teresa. <laughs> and then it gets real dark at the end because Rimmer gets all of these wax droids on both sides killed. And he's like, victory! And I'm like, what victory? Everyone's dead. You have destroyed this world. It, it just gets real dark out of nowhere, but with like a good anti-war message that I appreciated. Yeah, I... I... If I recall, I think in that episode they uh, they hang Winnie the Pooh at Gallows. Oh my god, yeah, that's right. They do it off panel. Yeah, and it's horrible. But they're <laughs> talking about like Lister's like looking through jail cells explaining what's happening. And I don't remember if it's to hang him or it's a firing squad, but like something happens and Lister like turns around and sits down and credit to the actor, he looks haunted. <laughs> and he goes, that is something no one should ever have to see. Oh, my God. It's like... <laughs> yeah, it when did the... the boo, he refused the blindfold. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. This fucking show. God. No, but yeah, at the end of that episode, I, I, it's funny you brought that up because I kind of remember that speech. Like, Rimmer's like declaring victory even though everybody's dead. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, Lister, and Lister, Lister just goes, yeah, Rimmer, right. So now all the corpses that littered that battlefield can just lie there. Saved in the arms, they snuffed it under a flag of peace, and now that's it. decompose in a land of freedom, you smeghead. <laughs> uh, and then, then they still end it with a joke because in by that one there was like a light bee. It was a little thing that would like they could load the the hologram into, and he could like float around and leave the ship if he needed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would buzz around inside him and project his image. And he 
takes the light bee and swallows it as like revenge for Rimmer getting this entire world destroyed. Right. And so Rimmer has to spend the next two days experiencing Lister's digestive system. Like <laughs> it, it's a, just a, another example of how this show goes from like funny to really like dark and uh, philosophical to poop humor. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the space of like a scene about you, Jesse, do you, do you have a favorite episode? Oh, I really like uh, Sirens, the first episode of season six. That's the one with the it, it, the women, genetically modified creatures, the genetically engineered life forms. Right, and Lister kind of inexplicably comes out of uh, cryostasis again. You don't really know what's going on, but Crichton tells him he's been in for two hundred years, and uh, he comes out and like tries to trim his fingernails with a pencil sharpener. <laughs> Oh God! And the fingernails are like super long and twisty. Oh yeah, that yeah, was they, the the jokes in that episode are so funny. Like the you know they find messages written on the wall in people's guts, and they're like, "Who would do that?" And they're like, "Well, someone that badly needed a pen." Like, yeah. just very punchy. And by that point, the um the set design they had some more money, so it looked better. It wasn't this gray drab. You know, they had the. The Starbucks set was gorgeous. Yeah, Star- once Starbucks came around, that kind of shit was great. The Being able to go off and uh, do adventures and go off and see planets and stuff. Uh, the model shots especially. I think we've been ignoring that. Some of these model shots they have in this show are fantastic. I love models, too. Like, I models get uh, underrated ever since CGI came out. And, like, we're seeing more and more people are going back to practical, like, makeup effects. But models looked good. They mm-hmm. had real dimension. The best science fiction is when you take models and then use CGI to punch it up as opposed to entirely CGI. It, 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 that one, the one you're talking about, was an intro to a really dark phase of Red Dwarf where they they lose the Red Dwarf and are stuck on this tiny little ship and suddenly have to worry about shit like rations for the first time in their yeah, lives. Yeah, right. It gets really kind of dark and, and like their uh, attrition yeah, they, they actually kind of become action heroes at that point. They start, like, carrying guns around with them a lot more often. And... Yeah, cause, well, because up to that point, thanks to the provisions on the Red Dwarf, uh, there was enough Vindaloo that Lister would need to pop it on the size of Lake Michigan. <laughs> That's it. This show's obsession with Vindaloo. I, hey, wanted Vindaloo, with Vindaloo. So, I wanted Vindaloo so bad when I was a kid. And luckily, I really liked it, but like I was just <laughs> determined. I was like, I need a Vister, Lister eats Vindaloo. I need Vindaloo. I'll throw it for me. Ah, oh, this is a hard one because Future Echoes is one of my favorite. Maybe not my favorite favorite. Uh huh. I'd say maybe Justice. It, oh, that's, that's the one where they're all put on trial. Yeah, that's yeah. where Rimmer's put on trial for the death of the crew. And they're on the the prison planet, and there's the technology. So whatever he tries to do that that's like bad happens to him instead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Justice Field. The Justice oh, Field. That was such a good episode. That was season seven, I think. That was that episode gets a or that season gets a bad rap, but it actually does some really clever things. Oh, season four. Oh, season four. Okay, I'm sorry. I have three seasons on DVD. One, four, and seven. <laughs> so I'm apparently getting them a little mixed up there. Uh, I'm also a big fan of The Inquisitor, but maybe not as much as Justice. That's a big toss-up for me. But 
the Inquisitor was the time traveling android that goes and erases people that are worth. Oh from yeah, the God! I'm using other sci-fi concepts. What happens if we take this person out of existence mm-hmm. and replace them with one of the sperms that never got a chance? <laughs> yep. God. This show is weird and funny, and it shouldn't be as dark as it randomly decides to be. Sometimes, I don't really have any other thoughts on it other than fuck. Watch Red Dwarf. Yeah, if you haven't seen it and you've dug what we've been talking about, go fucking watch it, please. It's not what you expect it to be. I think that's a lot. Jesse, do you have any closing thoughts on Red Dwarf? No, man. Just uh, go check it out. It's one of my favorite things ever. It's like my my nerdy obsession. That's what the show is, right? General nerdery. That's yep. right. That's it is my my one and only singular obsession. I I love Red Dwarf more than I love anything else in the world. So go check it out. Watch it all start to finish. Yeah, boy. And speaking of our show, we would highly appreciate it if you hit subscribe, however you're listening to us right now. Uh, before we jump into that spiel, though, oh, do we shit. have any recommendations right. we want to do this week? Oh, shit. Do you have any recommendations? I'll think on mine for a second. Uh, Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. We mentioned it last week with Why the Last Man something in the news talking about why the last man is from the same writer. It is the greatest comic book I have ever read. And from me, that is saying, Oh, so much. Uh, the earliest description is it's, uh, Romeo and Juliet in space, but that doesn't even begin to explain it. It's, it's about a family trying to survive a war in space. And there's spaceships that are made of trees and, ghost babysitters that like their bottom parts don't exist. So their ghosts <coughs> are just hanging out and robots with TVs for heads. And it, it's, I don't have the words for how good, but occasionally how dirty that comic is. Hmm. Okay. We need to really start writing down our recommendations. Yeah, we absolutely. We talk I'm about to every week now. I know. Cause I'm trying to think of what I've recommended in the past. And have I recommended big mouth? Yes. Uh, fuck. <laughs> oh yeah, Jesse listens. Good, thank you. Uh, we had this with Roar too. We are running out of time so we can do this. Then, in that case, I will recommend. I'll recommend uh, the album Duke Lion Fights the Terror from the band Big Dumb Face. Uh, Big Dumb Face is Wes Borland of Limp Biscuit's side project. <laughs> this is not where I'm going where I expected it to. Uh, it is a very loose concept album that doesn't necessarily tell a story, but more just introduces you to this universe where all these characters coexist and can best be described as death country, uh, with songs ranging from, uh, super hard death metal to jokey, uh, almost spoken word country shit like, uh, uh, blood redhead on fire and mighty penis laser. Uh, there also is a sequel to the album that caused me to have a mind blowing moment like uh, a couple months ago when I finally listened to it. But I would recommend that album actually because it's a lot of fun and it's um, kind of like what you said at the end of talking about Red Dwarf. It's not what you would expect. Awesome. Jesse, any recommendations for you, bud? Yeah, I'm kind of stuck on Mighty Penis Laser a little bit. <laughs> um, what was the question? Um, uh, it's kind of gauche. It's kind of gauche to, uh, I suppose, hawk a podcast on a podcast. But I've been listening to a show called uh, No Such Thing as a Fish. 
I which you can find file. wherever your podcasts are sold. It is a podcast put on by the QI Elves, if you're familiar with Quite Interesting, the British panel show. Oh, shit. Okay. And it's just hours and hours of them throwing facts out and uh, just telling jokes and throwing out facts. And I, it's hilarious. And it's a good way to spend time if you're stuck on a bus or stuck at work. So that's what I've been ingesting. Oh, my God. I didn't know the QI Elves had a podcast. Oh, yes. No such thing as a fish. It's fantastic. His, his face is lit up here. That makes me so happy. QI is amazing, too. Highly recommend QI. Sweet. These I'm learning new things. It's hard to find here in the States unless you want to subscribe to old BritBox. Oh, shit. God, I'm increasingly feeling like I'm going to have to do that with the advertisements they're giving me. I or, agree. They've got Hercule Poirot on there. I love Agatha Christie's Poirot. I know. Me, too. Miss Marple as well. They did a couple miniseries of Miss Marple that were just fantastic. I watched that as a kid. I haven't. I haven't seen it as an adult. I feel like I would enjoy it so much more as a grown-up. I haven't seen them. I can't. I can't comment. Yeah. Closest I come is Murder by Death. So, love that movie. So I fucked up my segue earlier, but now we would segue. Oh my no! I just jumped on it, but it was the wrong time. <laughs> uh, but now we would super appreciate it if you hit subscribe, however you're listening to us right now, because we love you listening to us. You can follow us on social media at uh, Facebook and Twitter at General I, Nerdery. I tried to call us the Art of Wargaming. That's my next podcast. Everyone uh, gives their specific ats, but to be honest, if you just type in General Nerdery, we're what comes up. Yep. Even if that's not what specifically it is. So Yeah, so just type that in. You can also find us on our website at generalnerdcast.com. Yeah, go there. Check out all the entire back catalog. Uh, and while you're there, you'll notice up at the top, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. Uh, you can follow the links there to go check out all of the shows. Listen to me talk about horror movies over on Fried Squirms. You can hear Zach talk about Machiavelli and Wargaming and all of that fun stuff over on The Art of Wargaming. And you can keep caught up on all of those and all the shows that are yet to come uh, over at earvrim.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Jesse, thanks so much for being on with us today. Uh, Is there anywhere where people can follow you? Anything you make that people can... Oh, no, none of that at all. Please, in fact, leave me alone. (laughs) okay yeah perfect uh we'll never but i appreciate you guys having me on it's been an honor yeah i appreciate having you uh if i may say so um uh smoke me a clipper i'll be back for christmas (laughs) in the meantime we're your generals of nerdery dismissed